Thanks everyone for joining me on another episode of The Few. Very excited by our next guest. Well, we're gonna look not so much what it is about you and what you can do to reach out and grab that goal, but more about what you can do as a leader and what the role of leadership looks like. And also what it's like when you become a leader when maybe you're not expecting it or it's just come out of the blue or you finally got that promotion you're looking for and you're asking a question, well, now what? So our next guest with no further ado is... Welcome to the Few Podcast. Never in the field of human conflict was so much owed by so many to so few. So you want to become one of the few. You can't skip steps. You have to put one foot in front of the other. Things take time. I have a dream. I have a dream. Hear inspiring stories from the few and learn what it takes to turn your dream into reality. Don't be afraid to dream big. But remember, dreams without gold are just dreams. This is The Few with Boo. Mick Spears. Mick, hey, thanks so much for joining us on the show and for getting up so early this morning. Thanks, Boo. Really excited to be here and looking forward to a great conversation. So, Mick, tell us a little bit about uh, the Leadership Project, the origins, the idea. What was it that led you on a pathway to target leadership and really help leaders with that journey? Because as we know, leadership and leadership development is not necessarily the most successful element of training and development inside an organization, is it? Yeah. So leadership is in a crisis is the best thing that I could say, Boo. And that's what inspired us to do what we do. So what we did is we looked at research from organizations like ATD and from Gallup, and you'd see anything between only 16 to 20% of people in the world, Boo, truly love their job and like their boss. That's it. One in five. One in five people love their job and like their boss. And it just dawned on us that, you know, people are spending up to one third of their life in the workspace. And it's a complete tragedy that they're in these workspaces that either don't inspire them or worse still, completely stress them out. And at the heart of that was leadership. It's leaders that are creating that culture. They're creating that workplace. They're creating that environment. And it's the difference between a leader that creates an environment where you feel valued, where you feel like you belong, where you feel like you're having an impact compared to those that maybe diminish you and make you feel less than and all of those, let's say, less favorable attributes that you sometimes see in leadership. So in our view, we basically, we went wrong somewhere. We went wrong somewhere along the line where the, the role model of leadership had been become this kind of alpha style leadership that people were not enjoying and where people were spending up to one third of their life in these workplaces that were completely stressing them out, we saw it as a tragedy that had to be fixed. So the leadership project was born and everything that goes with that, the books, the podcast, the academy, to try to rethink what it takes to be a leader in a modern world so that we can create environments where people can do their very best work and not be so stressed out all the time. So where have we gone wrong? You would think in a world where there was so much information available. We've got the ability to follow inspiring leaders to learn. Where is it all going wrong? And why are we finding in these short-term crises of great resignations and quiet quitting? What's the kind of root cause of it all? Great question, Boo. I'm going to say that it starts with role modeling and it starts with a big gap early in someone's leadership career. 
So you brought it up before. You said people, sometimes they stumble into leadership or they get that promotion and they become a leader for a first time and they're often lost. I call it the roller coaster. So what happens is someone may have been amazing at their job. They might have been a great fighter pilot, your example. It could be an accountant, could be a software engineer, a nurse, whatever it is, there's a good chance that they were really good at their craft. And then they get the tap on the shoulder to say, hey, congratulations, you're a leader now. And then goes the roller coaster. So they have the euphoric highs that they've finally been recognized for being good at what they do and they get the promotion that they feel like they deserved. And then comes the thud. And the thud is the anxiety of not knowing what it takes to be a leader and what's expected of them. And their only reference point at this point is to start looking around at the leaders that they've had before them. And when we've had this kind of knock-on effect, this constant knock-on effect of, I'm gonna say poor leadership after poor leadership after poor leadership, their only model of leadership that they can follow, the chances are it's a poor one. And they start mimicking the behaviors of the leaders before them that they didn't even like those behaviors themselves, but that was what they saw it took to be a leader, to be the directorial leader, the one that would lead from the front and everything was rah, 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 and everything was about performance and all of these things. So what I think is missing is We've had decades of alpha style leadership that was not very engaging, that didn't tap into the psychology of how people like to make decisions and how they like to be led. And it ended up in this mimicking behavior where people just went, oh, that's what bosses do. And what needed to happen was to break that trend and to get in there and to stop, reflect and rethink what it takes to be a leader, to train people what it means about the responsibilities of leadership about the fact that they'll be more successful at leaders if they're able to inspire people to do things because they want to do it, not because they were told to do it. And then from there, it opens up a whole avenue of you know leading with purpose, understanding emotional intelligence, understanding how to engage and inspire people instead of just telling them what to do. It's true, isn't it? It's a human trait where we tend to repeat the behaviors that we experience, you know, principally as a child. But as we move into these leadership roles, and there is, I mean, I used to have a saying, which was, it's easy to be successful and be an asshole. It's much harder to be successful and be a great person. And I think, you know, for some of us, we see very successful in terms of wealth, in terms of the go-getter in the office that might be streaks ahead of everyone else and get the big sales figures, but their behavior is potentially the worst and we subsequently aspire to that and copy those behaviors what's the downfall in that and how can an organization create i quite like the money ball approach to leadership which is a bunch of leaders that are all above average rather than one exceptional performer who's a trade-off for a poor leader the general thinking in hr is the recruitment of the talent the talented individual that comes in and saves the world clearly i remember as a fighter pilot often we avoided the talent because we knew the the talent was hard work and and often pushed it too hard and then crashed the airplane. What do we do in business? How do we find and develop great leadership? That's an amazing question, Bernard. It comes down to culture, and culture is something that scares a lot of people. And I'm going to give a little bit of a recipe here that with discipline and with intentionality can make setting a great culture easier, right? So what culture comes down to is a set of behaviors. Those behaviors that become the norm around the place where, oh, that's just the way things are done around here. 
Now, when we want to set a culture, what we need to do is really think about what behaviors we want to drive. What do we want the culture to look like? What is it today and what do we want it to be? So having a bit of an honest from to analysis of this is the way things are going today. We don't like it. And the aspirational culture that we want has the following behaviors. Then it comes down to first one, you need to role model those behaviors. So if you want to have a workplace based on authenticity and psychological safety, you better start role modeling those behaviors yourself. And beyond that, we then start to celebrate and reward the behaviors that we want and not tolerate the behaviors that are out of line with the values and beliefs of the group and the culture that you want to set. We get the behavior that we celebrate, reward, and tolerate. If you just remember that from this discussion today, you'll go a long way. Then when you've got your behaviors that you want in the organization, so let's go with psychological safety, where you want a, a behavior in the organization where everyone feels safe to stick up their hand and say, hey, I'm not getting this, I, I don't understand, or why are we doing that this way? And to have that encouragement, that speak up culture, what that means is then every time someone does that, you need to celebrate and reward. Even if you don't agree with the things that they stuck up the hand and said, the, the fact that they had the courage to speak up needs to be celebrated and rewarded. Then the more insidious one, and this is going to go to your, I'm going to say your fighter pilot example that you said before, that you've got to be careful with the talent because they might be a little bit too egocentric and all of these things. We also get the behavior that we tolerate. So I'm going to take it into a business environment and talk about that high-flying salesperson that's bringing in all of the results. But everyone knows that, I'm going to use your word for a second here, Boo, he's an arsehole. Right, say so his behaviors are cutthroat. It's all about me, 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 me. And it's not about the team. It's not about the company. He's out there making decisions that boost his own results and doesn't care about anyone else, doesn't even really care about the customer. Getting great results. The top line looks great because orders are coming in, but he's making all of this damage as they go around. And if we tolerate that behavior, the reason why that's insidious is people are smart. People see that boot. They go, oh, there's, there's Jim and he's behaving like this. If I want to get promoted around here, I need to be more like Jim. That's, that's one option. The next option is they get so infuriated that Jim behaves like this that they either quiet quit where they go, I cannot believe that Jim gets away with that. So they disengage or they really quit. They go, I cannot believe that Jim gets away with that. I'm out of here. So we get the behavior that we celebrate. We get the behavior that we reward and we get the behavior that we tolerate. And if we think about the behaviors that we want in the business and we think about that every single day, we start to evolve the culture and we start to get a culture based on, it might be collaboration is your number one aspiration. So every time someone collaborates, celebrate and reward it. So think about the culture you want, start celebrating and rewarding it and stop tolerating the behavior that is not in line with the behavior that you want. And in some respects, it's easier said than done, isn't it? Because behaviors are un unconscious by and large and the inability for us to realize how we are behaving in front of people or our ability to 
modify it or based on our self-awareness and the, and the awareness of our environment can sometimes be pretty poor. If some people behave extremely badly and when they're pulled up on it, have absolutely no idea that, that, that they're doing it. So how do, how do you address that? I mean, how do you deal with that scenario where you know, maybe you have a bad boss and no one, because of the way they communicate, because of the way they are aloof of the rest of the team, how do you bridge that gap? How do you make someone aware of that behavior? So let me go in maybe three dimensions on that one. So the first one is with your team, right? So think about your team and being able to give them feedback. Feedback is probably one of the things that is missing in many workplaces. People have a very strong limiting belief about giving feedback. They don't want to hurt the person. They don't want to hurt their feelings, etc. You've got to take a mental switch on that to realize that when you give someone feedback, that comes from a place of love not from a place of hate or wanting to diminish the person. In fact, it shows to them that your love and care for them is greater than your fear of the conversation. So step into feedback and to be able to bring people to awareness. And there's all kinds of frameworks that you can use like that, where SBIA, situation, behavior, impact, and action, right? So you can use different uh, frameworks if it helps you to step into that feedback culture then you've got to encourage the feedback to yourself. This is another intentional act. So this is all things that you can't just do on autopilot. Sorry to use that reference with you, but that is the challenge with behavior. And if you don't, even when an airplane's on autopilot, you've got to keep an eye on it as if you're flying, whereas behavior, people don't keep an eye on it. But sorry, sorry for interrupting. No, you're right, right? So this needs to be an intentional act. So now you need to encourage others to be able to give you feedback because it is hard. Self-awareness is not that easy. So you need to empower people with the permission to pull you aside and say, hey, boss, in that last meeting, you know, when you said this, well, that didn't land very well and here's why. And celebrate and reward when they come to you with that feedback so that they give you that mirror up to yourself so that you can start improving. So that will be the second dimension. So the first one is your team. Second dimension is yourself and take those steps to get that feedback and and keep on improving every day. The third one's pretty challenging, and I left that to last, which is the feedback to your boss. You do need to do that. You need to do that in a respectful way. Do it from a place of love and care for them as well, as well as the fact that you're there advocating on behalf of everyone that that person is working with. So if they have some blind spots, and let me tell you, it's difficult to read the label on the jar from inside the jar. So a lot of people have blind spots. It could be legitimately a blind spot that they're not aware of. And when you make it aware to them, if they're a decent human being, first of all, they might be mortified and shocked. And second, If they're a decent human being, they'll thank you and say, I had no idea that I was having that impact when I was doing that thing. Thank you so much. I'm going to do something about it, right? If they're not a decent human being, if they're one of those other ones, the arsehole, and things don't change over time, yes, there's a time where you actually either escalate around them or you yourself leave that organization and go somewhere where you will be valued, but it's not without trying. If you don't try to change the behavior of that boss, I'm going to say it's unfair because it could be a blind spot for them. They may have no idea. They might have gone a 30-year career where no one has told them, hey, you know, when you start meetings with that stupid joke that's inappropriate, Mm. do you know that you're upsetting half the team and no one's told them? That's unfair. So someone needs to bring it to our attention. If they don't step into action and fix it, that's on them. But you can help them by bringing it to their awareness. 
it's that old adage, isn't it? You can only really control what you can control. And then the rest is really up to the universe. If you do it in a way that is, as you say, with the other person's best interest at heart, then you generally set yourself up to influence that person in a positive way. If you do it out of criticism or a brinkmanship or gamesmanship to get your own promotion, then obviously it's not going to be received as well. Uh, one of the things you talk about, Mick, is obviously the importance of emotional intelligence and the ability for a person to improve that part of their leadership style. Hi, it's Boo here. If you're enjoying these episodes of The Few, please show your support by leaving a review. It costs you nothing, and the more reviews we have, the better guests we can reach out and bring onto the show to help you close the gap between what you want and where you are today even faster and help you on your journey to become one of the few too. What does that involve? What does the absence of emotional intelligence look like? What does good emotional intelligence look like and how do you close that gap? Yeah, really good one. So the first thing is emotional intelligence is a better determinant of your success than anything else, right? For all the smart people listening to this, IQ is important and congratulations. EQ is a bigger determinant of whether you'll be successful or not in life and in business than IQ is. The good news is it can be trained and it is something that, once again, they use the word intentional. With intentional acts, you can work on your emotional intelligence. Now, what does it look like when it's not there? When it's not there, you aren't in tune with those around you. But secondly, and probably more importantly, you get that environment. And every, when I say this, everyone's been in one of these environments where people are walking around the office and they're whispering to each other, is the boss in a good mood today? So they want to go and ask you something. They want to go and give you some either bad feedback or a project's gone off the rails, or they want to go and ask for permission to take the team out for lunch or whatever. But before they do, they're saying, hey, is the boss in a good mood today? If that's happening, there's a good chance that your emotional intelligence, your own emotional self-awareness and your own emotional self-management is out of kilter. And that's going to have an impact on people around you. The second part is then that interrelationships with others. So the things that you need to work on is your emotional self-awareness. And that could be a seven-hour discussion on its own, boo, but really understanding where emotion comes from and what emotion is trying to tell you, right? So emotion is information. It's trying to tell you about either a met need, a happy emotion, or an unmet need. So if there's something going on in your life where you're frustrated, sad, whatever it case may be, it's about an unmet need. So emotional self-awareness. Emotional self-management is then to understand about why this emotion, why this emotion now, what is it trying to tell me and how am I going to regulate it? Not suppress it. Suppressing emotion doesn't get you anywhere, but noticing and naming the emotion then regulating emotion in a way that's going to serve you and serve your team in the best way is the next step. Self-motivation is also part of emotional self-awareness. And this is about the famous Yerkes-Dodson curve, where you talk about things like a certain amount of stress in your life can actually encourage performance. But if you push too far, it's going to drop off the curve and performance around you, your own performance and the performance of your team is going to drop off. So having that ability to use emotion to motivate and stimulate, et cetera. The next one is then around empathy and understanding the emotion of others. And there's three types of empathy. There's your cognitive empathy, just to be able to understand how someone is thinking and how they got to the solution 
that they got to, when you have that, you can diffuse conflict in the workplace. You can really connect with someone because you can say, oh yeah, I can see how you got there. doesn't mean you have to agree with them, but that, uh, that cognitive empathy enables you to see the world through someone else's eyes. Emotional empathy is to understand what they're feeling. Once again, you might not agree with it, but when you understand what they're feeling, you can then understand their decision-making and the way that they're looking at the world. And then the third one is empathic concern. This is like your sympathy and wanting to help people. This is one that you need to be careful with as a leader, but having that empathic concern for your team builds trust, builds care, builds an environment where you all look out for each other. Then you wrap it all up into relationships and all businesses about relationships. Every business is about human beings. It's not about ones and zeros. It's not about software. It's not about aircraft. At the end of the day, it's about human beings and the ability for us to connect together and work together. So if you work starting from the start with your emotional self-awareness through to your regulation, through to your motivation, your empathy and your relationships, you're going to go a long way as a leader and you're going to create that environment where people aren't walking around going, hey, is the boss in a good mood today? And you're very adamant about a practice of self-reflection as well, which I would presume based on what you're saying and, and our ability not to really see our blind spots is part of that journey as well. What does that also look like? Is self-reflection something you do in a heated moment? Is it something you do as a daily practice? I'm a huge believer in taking the time to sit and reflect and to actually identify something you can do better tomorrow. But what does it look like to you, a great practice of self-reflection? So I do it every day and I teach my students and participants to do it every day as well. And to me, it's a little bit like a pilot's debrief. I wouldn't know that as well as you, Boo, but to me, it's a bit like a pilot's debrief at the end of the day. And there's five questions that I ask myself every day. And I've done this for a decade and a half now. What worked well today? What didn't work as well? What would I do differently next time if I had my time again? What did I learn about others? And what did I learn about myself? And I do that on the tram. I do it mentally first. And then when I get home, I write it down in a journal. I do that on the tram on the way home every day. What worked well? What didn't work well? What would I do differently next time? What did I learn about others? What did I learn about myself? And that enables me to continue to grow and learn as a leader because lifelong leaders are lifelong learners. And the funny thing about leadership, it's, it deals with human behavior and humans are erratic. And what worked for you today may not work for you three months from now. So you need to keep on evolving and adapting as your team evolves and adapts. And the power of this is to do self-reflection. I think it also acts as a bit of a circuit breaker. It allows you to phase out of work mode into home mode. It gives you the opportunity sort of to decompress feelings and emotion in a fairly logical, irrational way. And I think also it allows you to just pivot a little bit as to what your priorities are. You know, I think one of the challenges with most leaders now in the high-speed digital tsunami that we live with where people just cannot find the time to just get off the treadmill. It's just a race to who's the most exhausted and who burns out quickly. So I would presume that self-reflection is a great tool to allow yourself to regulate your own intensity and give yourself that space to say, hey, you know what, maybe, maybe what I did today wasn't actually that productive or what I needed to do. Maybe I should just Maybe stopping right now is not a bad thing to do as well. Yeah, there's an element there of letting it go to let it come. So particularly like there might be a conversation that you had with one of your team members or your boss that day, and it's been replaying in your head 
all day. And that's going to take up processing. Your brain processing is still focused on that conversation. And you're going, oh, why did they say that that way? Or I wish I had said that differently because it didn't land very well. And if you don't take the time to kind of process it and let it go, you won't be able to let what's coming next come. And whether that is downtime with your family and to have a nice dinner together and, you know, give your family what they deserve, which is all of you and your focus and attention. If you're sitting there dwelling on work while you're having family dinner, that's not fair on your family either. So it's good for your mental health, but it is also good for the learning because you're going to take that time to stop, reflect and go process it and go, right, okay, I understand that now. Now I'm going to let it go and tomorrow's another day. That's also the time to fact check as well, right? Like in that reflection that you can get onto Google, you can have a look and you can maybe look at other ideas. Because again, I feel sometimes when we get caught in our own belief system and structures, our self-reflection, we can reinforce sometimes our bad habits and behaviors and say, well, maybe tomorrow I just need to, I didn't get what I wanted. So maybe tomorrow I just need to be a bit more aggressive in how I tell people what to do. So I think in that reflection, how important is it to embrace growth in that process as well? Yeah, absolutely. Learning and thinking about, well, what are my options in front of me? What's going to serve me well? And not doubling down on something that was the reason why it went off the rails today and doubling down on it tomorrow. These are the things that we do need to do. And having that ability to have also a bit of self-compassion at that point too, Boo, we're all human beings, we all make mistakes. So being able to let go and reset means that we are ready to grow tomorrow as well. The challenge though, what if you don't know? What if you're reflecting and you just don't know? You do feel swamped. You feel things are out of control. Your decision-making's in a bit of a rut. We understand that leadership can be relatively lonely. And for some leaders, it's about showing up each and every day and not exhibiting any vulnerability. So how do leaders seek out that information? And how do you get yourself in a place where you're able to find what you need to grow and learn, but at the same time, not feel like you're being weak? Or are you not being an effective leader because I'm living this illusion, which is a leader should just know everything. And if they don't, I just need to bullshit my way through. So I'm going to put that down in three elements. The first one, funnily enough, I'm not going to put the most weight on, even though that's what I do a lot of. The first one is the educational part. So go and research, you know, uh, listen to podcasts like yours, Boo or mine or other people's podcasts. You can go on, you can find good YouTube videos on different topics. So research is part of it, but I'm not going to say that's the best one. The two that I'm going to encourage is this is where the role of a coach comes in and highly successful, high performing people have coaches. Tiger Woods at the height of his powers as a golfer had a coach. Novak Djokovic has a coach or in fact, multiple coaches. He has a mental coach as well as coaches that look at his, you know, tennis technique and highly successful, high performing people have coaches that help them see what they're not seeing. Right. And then the third one would be a mentor. And let me tell a little bit about the difference between those two. So a mentor is someone that might be ahead of you in their career. They're 10 to 15 years ahead of you. They've made lots of mistakes in their career and they share their experience with you. And they would say, well, you know, Boo, when, when I had that situation, what worked for me was X. You need to find what works for you, but this is what worked for me. Or I made this mistake and this is why I made that mistake. Watch out for that one. So mentorship is about shared experience from someone else that's been through something similar to you. Whereas coaching is going to help you heighten your experience and help you to address things like limiting beliefs or what is holding you back. 
to give you that space away from the office where you can really stop and reflect and go, yeah, why does that happen? Why do I do that? And to really challenge you to stop and think and address those limiting beliefs that might be holding you back. So it could be, I'll come back to those crucial conversations. You might be one of those leaders, and I say this on purpose because this is probably the most common pitfall for most leaders. You might be one of those leaders that doesn't like giving people feedback because you've got a mental block about that feedback is negative rather than feedback comes from a place of love. A coach can help you through that and can help you address the limiting belief so that you can go forward. So I'm going to say this is where coaching comes in and probably is the biggest multiplier that you can have. Education, yes. Mentoring, yes. They're both great. Coaching is the thing that will unlock your capability, your potential as a leader. And as a leader, that's when the less perfect elements of you, that's where some of your baggage starts to come out of the cupboard and get put out on the side of the uh, train station, right? Because there's less places to hide. You're more obvious. But you said earlier, Mick, talking about we're in a leadership crisis. I mean, if we look at the world, you know, people say it's the safest and it's the happiest it's ever been. And the likelihood of you walking out in the street and getting hit by a bus has never been lower. So fatality rates, mortality rates, everything's on the up. Yet at the same time, our disengagement, our rates of mild depression, anxiety are on the up. What is going on at a macro level with leadership right now? Yeah, so I'm going to say that there's people feeling lost. That's what's happening. There's a messy middle going on, boo, right? So what I mean by the messy middle, when we look at workplaces that inspire people, that give people purpose, that make them feel seen, heard, and feel like they're valued. Those people are knocking out of the park and they're jumping out of bed on Monday morning and wanting to get to the office because they can't wait to have the impact that they know that they're going to have that day. Then at the other end of the extreme, there's people in toxic workplaces that are so bad that they're going into work this week to resign. They're ready to go. And then most businesses are somewhere in between where people are just showing up to get the paycheck to do the bare minimum to make sure that they don't get fired and then to go home so they can spend time with their loved ones, right? So the messy middle is where people have not, they're not in that toxic environment where they're completely assholes, use your word before, but they don't feel the purpose and meaning in what they're doing. So what is needed in a lot of companies now is to really stop and reflect on what people are looking for in the workplace. They want to feel like they matter. They want to feel like they matter. And when you make people feel like they matter, there's a funny thing that happens. They do matter. They do things that matter. They want to feel seen. So if you're in this one of these workplaces where all of the bosses go into the, an office and close the door and ferret away on numbers, et cetera, et cetera, no. People want to feel seen. They want to feel heard. And they want to feel like they belong to something that's bigger and more important than just themselves. We're on this planet for each other and we're on this planet because we want to feel like we made a difference and when we create that environment where we give people purpose and meaning where we make them feel that they matter and we make them feel seen and heard all of a sudden the engagement comes back so that's the missing ingredient in most workplaces stop looking at just financial performance and did we hit our budget because and oh i think we need 10 more headcount or no Start thinking about the headcount that you've already got and how you can give those people purpose and meaning 
how you can make them feel seen and heard and how you can inspire them because they will then unlock that discretionary effort that's missing in your business today. Now, to be clear, when I say discretionary effort, most people jump to, oh, okay, so we're going to inspire people and then they're going to work 12, 14 hour yeah. days. <laughs> not, that's not what I'm talking about. Yeah. I'm talking about in that eight hours or nine hours, whatever your work environment is, their productivity in that eight or nine hours, if they're inspired, if they feel like they matter, if they feel seen and heard, is going to go through the roof instead of, let's be honest here, their mind's half at work, half not at work. They might even be drifting off to Facebook at different times. Let's be honest. They might be drifting off and not really putting in their best work. The workforce that you've already got is the one that you can tap into. Don't look outside. Look at who you've already got and inspire them. Yeah, there's a lot of potential energy inside any organization, isn't there? For emerging leaders, someone who, who really is actually a great person, they might be underperforming in a leadership role just because they're not really sure what to do. How can they find you? How can they get themselves into the leadership project and turn themselves into a leader that matters and one who is willing to challenge the status quo? So the best place they can go is mixpeers.com. So that's where you can get access to all of our resources. You can look at our programs. You can look at our coaching. You can buy books. You can listen to the podcast. You can get access to all of our videos that, that break down some of the basic concepts of leadership down, the things that you were never taught. Yeah, we'd love to hear from you. We'd love to connect with you and see how we can help you. Do encourage you at some point in your career to get a coach. It will be life-changing, whether it's us or someone else. Get a coach and start working on the things that are holding you back. Thanks so much, Mick. And that is Mick, not as in Spears that you throw, but S-P-I-E-R-S. -E the links for Mick and the Leadership Project will be down below in the show notes. I've had a wonderful opportunity to talk, not to Mick just today, but on a number of occasions, I can certainly say that, that his insights, but also his empathy and commitment are absolutely wonderful and first class. So Mick, thanks very much for coming on the few podcast. It was an absolute joy having the opportunity to share with you your insights into leadership. Thanks, Boo. Great pleasure. Thank you for all that you do and for the opportunity to share some insights with your, with your audience today. Thank you. Well, that wraps another episode of The Few, and I'd like to thank our partners without whom this episode wouldn't be possible. Firstly, Ode Management, an organization that brings world-class speakers into your event or organization to make a profound impact on your people to deliver the results that you want. And Afterburner, real-life fighter pilots, a team of men and women who for the past 25 years have helped organizations surpass their expectations, learning the tips and tricks fighter pilots use to win 98% of the time. If you enjoyed the show, please show your support by subscribing to the podcast, The Few with Boo, or our YouTube channel. It's been an absolute pleasure sharing the stories of these remarkable people with you. I hope that helps you keep the dream alive, but more importantly, equips you with a few ideas of how to turn those dreams into reality to help you become one of the few too.